Global consumerism is a $40 trillion a year phenomenon, which makes it the largest, most predictable investment opportunity on the planet. Who are the prime beneficiaries of global consumption trends? Mega brands. Welcome to the Mega Brands podcast series. I'm your host, Eric Clark. In this podcast, we explore mega trends through the lens of a global investor with the ultimate goal of identifying the most relevant, most innovative brands that are best positioned to become what I call mega brands. These are the brands that are customer obsessed, have a corporate culture of innovation and self-disruption, create products and services that are in high demand, that exhibit strong brand love from customers, are serving a global opportunity and appeal to multiple demographic groups. What's the reward for a company that meets these criteria? More revenue, more cash flow, higher market share, and the potential to reach the trillion dollar club. Please enjoy our next episode of Mega Brands. Eric Clark is the portfolio manager for the Rational Dynamic Brands Fund in conjunction with his partners at AccuVest Global Advisors. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of AccuVest Global Advisors or Rational Funds. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of the Brands Fund or AccuVest may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Well, uh, Wednesday, May 18th, will go down in infamy. <laughs> uh, we're doing this conversation uh, with Barry Schwartz, CIO from Baskin Financial in Toronto, a little over a billion in assets um, after the market closed, kind of right at the market close, and it was a pretty dreadful day. So how, how are you doing? I, I've, been under the, I've been under my desk for most of the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been doing a lot of belly breathing walking uh yeah trying to avoid talking to my portfolio manage management friends just uh, commiserating is really getting uh, boring you know it's funny i mean i you know i have let's say i have two brains one's the trader brain and one is the investor brain mm -hmm. and and you know they're always duking it out at some point um to some degree but i, I understand this quantitative tightening. And I understand the inflation and its effect on consumers and labor within, within businesses. I understand all of that, but I also understand the opportunity. You know, I, I'm programmed to love sales in really good assets when they happen. And, mm -hmm. uh, and the hard part is when do the sales get to the point where buyers actually step in because right when we turned on the right before we turned on the recording I said you know we, we we agreed there's just a buyer strike nobody has any interest in stepping in although when you look at arc inflows you see on any given day there's three or four hundred million in flows always on a green day they never want to buy these things when they're down ten percent <laughs> they only like to buy arc when when they're up ten percent and then they get squashed but I mean, you know, how, how do you, you manage it, you know, a billion dollars or more. How do you try to navigate this kind of a market and, and communicate with clients? Because obviously the, the, that's probably the, the biggest issue. Clients are trying to figure out what the hell do I do? What do you think, Barry? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, sometimes it, it, it's just help, very helpful to 
talk it out and go back to the basic principles of investing, what, we're, what you're trying to achieve. You know, I don't want to, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want to look forward two to three years because I'm already getting older as it is. But that's kind of what you're doing in investing, what you're buying today or what you're holding today. You're hoping that they're going to be much higher in the future. And in the meantime, unfortunately, when the markets go down like they are almost every single month in 2022, it's really short termism, right? You're, you're just reacting to every tick and you're, oh, my God, another down day. What should I do? Oh, my God, it went even lower. I can't take it anymore. And uh, but ultimately, that's not investing, as you pointed out. That's the that's the trader mind. That's your fight or flight response. That's your monkey brain reacting to the markets, and not your rational brain. So uh, it, it's tough. So we're having conversations with clients and reminding them about our process and our strategy. And we've always had the same process. Uh, we've been doing this for twenty plus years. It's it's long-term investing it's buying good companies it's holding them it's ignoring what mr market is doing uh if we don't like the prices it's buying more if we have cash and i also have clients of all different age groups demographics no question the retirees the older clients those living off their portfolios taking money out every month every quarter every year it's challenging for them and they're scared. They're not necessarily scared for their own portfolios. They're frightened for their children in a sense. Well, I, you know, they have a big nest egg and now it's dwindling. Uh, the younger clients should be using this as an opportunity. And I'm always shocked when a younger client is nervous or <laughs> I heard this or I read this and I want to get out or liquidate my portfolio. That, that's like the opposite. So the lessons I've learned are they're nothing new. Nothing changes in the investment business, Eric. And, uh, you know, I started in this business in the summer of 2000. I had about one good month of returns before everything imploded for two years. And uh, then we had a great run till 2007, then imploded again till 2011. Then we had a nice little run, uh, you know, the last decade or so. So don't know what's going to happen, but I, we have history on our side. The problem is, do you have the long-term intent now to stick with it, right? 10 years, uh, what was that period, 2000 to 2010? The US market did zero, right? A 10-year lost decade. We right. could have that again after such a huge run that we've had over the last 10 years. Yeah, and you know, I, I try to, when I'm talking to clients, you know, I have to remind them sometimes that our recency bias has has given us the the assumption that it, that above average returns you can extrapolate that forever. I mean, we mm -hmm. have you know we've done you know if let's say for the last fifty years the the, the market does eight to to eleven percent somewhere around there, right? Yeah. Um, we we did gosh twenty percent up until you know the end of last year for mm -hmm. for a you know well longer than we should have, and so there's always that mean reversion. And so the next question is back from the client. Well, okay, that sounds great. Why didn't you tell me to, you know, let's, let's cut our ex equity exposure by 40% because the mean reversion is going to happen. And then your response is, well, I don't know when it's going to start. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, there's so many what ifs, shoulda, couldas that I'm now finding. I'm, and I'm having some conversations with clients that just say, listen, everything I, everything I read, Everything I see tells me 
there's nothing good out there. <laughs> there's nothing good. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of always a believer that the truth is always somewhere in the middle between the it's there's nothing good or it's all great. Somewhere yeah. in the middle is usually where the where where life is. And you know, we're we're going through this period of time where there's a lot of uncertainty. You you can yeah. see it in daily swings with the VIX up 30 and 40. And you know, so you know, I, I looked at your 13F. Um, just to, you know, we, for those who haven't res, uh, t- listened to our conversation uh, a while back, you know, we have a happier lot. times. We, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, geez, COVID was more fun than this. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> at least we had the Fed who was who was willing to at some point jump in. Now they're basically saying, no mas, you guys yeah. are on your own. <laughs> and, and I think that's probably why the the shorts have, I think the shorts feel pretty bold right now. It's like the Fed's not going to come in. Earnings are going to be tepid. The economic data is rolling over. Like, well, well the short. The worst case seldom happens. So, yeah. So, going back, you're talking about our 13F. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at some holdings. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we have a lot of the, 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 the best companies that have ever been created. Mm-hmm. And, and candidly, a lot of those companies, have held up uh, up until recently. You know, they they pounded the speculative stuff to oblivion, names down 80, 90, 95%. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those were actually green or close to green today. And it was the Apples and the Microsofts and the, you know, Costco and the Target that were getting absolutely annihilated today. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. So, so yeah. T- so talk to me about about you know, the, the things let's, let's talk positive since there's nothing but negative. <laughs> let's talk about what you see. That's positive, not necessarily tomorrow, because I know there's a lot of uncertainty. But you know, when you look mm-hmm. out 12, 12 months and, f- and forward, you know, what do you see from evaluations? What do you see from a the, the the market is is not recognizing this? They're just selling everything. I would love to hear some yeah, so positivity. <laughs> and and I think that's the way to be. And and in, in terms of investing, I think you have to invest positively. And even if there's more pain to come, let's look forward going out the next five years. So. To reiterate how we invest, I, I'm not sure I, we talked about it in our first podcast, but uh, we try to buy companies where we can figure out if we can get a double-digit return over a five-year period when we're buying the stock. All right, so let me give you an example. Let's say we're going to buy shares of Adobe today, one of the world's greatest businesses that ever existed. Uh, Adobe's creative cloud has margins of 96%. Right. So it's like unbelievable a business. So that means for every hundred dollars that they charge, they make ninety six dollars It not in, uh, you know, after, after tax of income. Right. Just just, I guess, gross margin at the top line. But it's just an incredible business. And it's one I think that even in good times or bad times, everybody's still got to create stuff. YouTube, TikTok, uh, marketing materials, endless amount of um, products and services that that uh, Adobe can uh, help you out with. So when I think about Adobe today, right, it's, I, I think it's going to earn about thirteen and a half dollars a share in 2022, possibly 16 in 2023. Stocks trading below 400. So let's say it's trading around 25 times earnings. That's your that's your price. Uh, I think Adobe is going to grow probably uh, earnings somewhere between 12 and 15 percent over the next few years. Is that going to be in a straight line? No, of course not, because we're going to have 
good times, bad times, inflation, worries, the uh, boom, bust, what have you. But it, it's reasonable to assume that Adobe uh, is gonna earn, is gonna have double digit uh, uh, growth from here. Uh, the company is also guiding for better capital allocation going forward. They think their shares are cheap, so they're gonna start buying back a lot more shares. That's gonna help you. So when you're buying stock, what are you trying to do? You're trying to buy uh, free cash flow per share, earnings per share, and hopeful that in the next five years, if you're a long-term investor, you can earn a double-digit return. So if I think Adobe, if I pay 25 times earnings, and I think Adobe's going to grow its uh, growth at 15% a year, even if the stock falls to 20, 20 times earnings five years from now, I think I'm going to make a decent return on Adobe from here maybe buying it last November when the stock was over 600 bucks and trading 40 times earnings, that was a little high, harder to swallow. So in the short term, anything can happen. Uh, but in the long term, if you pick the right companies and the growth turns out to be as good as you thought, and even if you pay a little bit too much, you'll be okay. If you pay a lot, you're in trouble. So the, what I come back to is I see a lot of these companies now very inexpensive, right? Adobe, 25 times earnings. Apple, I think, 22 times earnings. Microsoft, 25 times earnings. These aren't uh, some run-of-the-mill crummy businesses. I, I posted something on Twitter and some guy wrote back to me, yeah, but the average multiple on the S&P 500 over the last five years is 16 times, yada, yada, yada. But these aren't average businesses. Right. These are businesses that have mar gross margins that are unbelievable, and you can't run the world without Microsoft, Apple, Google, Adobe. So I think, you know, positively speaking, these are pretty good opportunities here, even if they fall a lot lower. Right. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. I added to Adobe today, actually. Yeah. It's it, it and 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 I haven't. I, I used to own it, and I sold it, and I. I just love the business. And, you know, you have to think about like, what do, what do consumers have to have or what do they really, really want, no matter what the price is. Mm -hmm. And then what do businesses have to have? And, and that's kind of where we've been focused, you know, in, in most cases and Adobe obviously is, is part of that. And it's come down significantly and, you know, you got to love these companies. There's a lot of companies on sale that generate a lot of free cash and are now buying back mm -hmm. a lot of stock. And eventually that earnings, you know, th those buybacks plus, you know, good growth are going to be pretty accretive to earnings and nobody cares. But that's when you get a chance to buy these things when nobody cares and wants them. No, nobody cares right now. But the interesting thing is when I think about Okay, so the big worries about Walmart and Target were, well, they order too much uh, big ticket items and no one's spending money on that stuff because everybody already bought the TVs and uh, for patio furniture. Uh, everybody already did the renovations for their houses. So the big ticket items uh, demand is over. And so they over ordered on stuff. That can't happen with a Microsoft or an Adobe. Right. They can't, oh, there's no, there's no inventory of anything. They're right. selling you subscriptions, right? So I feel that the market, you know, I don't want to hate using this term, but it's shooting the wrong generals. Uh, so names like Apple and Adobe and Microsoft and Google and, you know, go on and on and on. Just great, great, high quality brands and businesses are, uh, are, are being obviously thrown out with the bathwater. But eventually these are going to find some kind of uh, some kind of balance and then 
fly higher again. So we don't know what's going to happen with the macro. I mean, David Rosenberg seems to know. Jeremy Grantham seems to know. Uh, some no-name guy on Twitter seems to know. Everybody seems to know what's going to happen with the macro. It's unbelievable how everybody knows everything. Uh, did they know that what was going to happen in 2020? Did they know what was going to happen in 2018? Did they know what was going to happen in 2008? No, but they seem to know. Uh, but I have no idea. I, I, I'm certain you would say you don't really have much idea what's going to happen with the macro either. Absolutely. I, you know, every time I listen to Jeremy Grantham, I want to just like <laughs> off myself. This guy might be a hoot at a cocktail party. I mean, we know he's super smart, but he's called every crash. He's called 10 of the last three crashes. I mean, yeah. I, I love him dearly. I love reading their stuff, but I don't know that the guy has been a, a terrific moneymaker over the long term he has these very compressed windows where they're right on mm -hmm. crashes and and really you know but kind of we'll call it we will use the phrase the overused phrase now the bubble's bursting but you know i i agree there was a massive misallocation of capital we printed way too much money we paid people to stay at home we you know lots of overreactions and and now we're having this comeuppance if you yeah. will and and even it's funny target walmart there isn't really a demand problem. Right? No, the revenues were good, right? Yeah. People are spending money. They just, I mean, I, I, I kind of feel bad for all these companies because trying to order and plan for inventory mm -hmm. when you have shipping delays and you have to go out and hire your own ships and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, when the window does open, do I order a ton of stuff so I don't run out of things? I mean, kudos to, kudos to these brands for choosing to absorb some of that cost to be there for for consumers that were getting fleeced in every in every other direction and you know it's a shame yeah. Home Depot obviously gave gave a lot up today but they've certainly performed better because they were willing to keep prices high you know which hurts consumers it's also more of a niche type of, sure. of business right it's not a like a Walmart or Target has everything right so Home Depot, many, many, you know, it's a, a different business model. I mean, I don't know. I think you own Costco. I mean, I, we I, do. I personally think Costco is not doing nearly as bad as Walmart's or Target. I think they're much better at managing inventory. Um, so I added to Costco today. I just closed yeah. my eyes and jumped a little bit. <laughs> we did too. Knife. We, I added some more today as well to our uh, fund. I think Costco is a it, it's a different type of business, right? It's it's certainly a higher end type um, company, uh, more targeted towards specialty foods as well. So it's possible that they're having the same issues as Walmart and Target with ordering and uh, inventory on higher big ticket items like patio furniture. Don't know, but. Uh, I think Costco was well ahead of these guys, right? They, they, uh, didn't they charter a number of their own ships? They did. Yeah. They, they have many fewer SKUs or, you know, products that they order. They're very targeted. So I'm not certain of anything, but I, I feel much more comfortable that uh, Costco is going to weather this inflation storm. Um, so, you know, what's interesting to me is, it, this is a very short-term period, right, in terms of inflation and, and the supply chains. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I, uh, you got to believe at some point the world does normalize to some degree. 
And so maybe there's opportunities with Walmart and Target here at these levels. I don't know. They're not, they don't really appeal to me as the type of companies that I'm interested in buying. But the reactions recently are dramatic uh, for uh, possibility of still transitory issues, right? But, you know, going back to Jeremy Grantham, he, he wrote a great paper years ago, if you search it up on just the differences in stock price movements versus the underlying fundamentals of the business, right? Uh, stocks are going to, and Warren Buffett said it too, right? In a, in a good year, stocks will move around 80% from high to low. In a bad year, like this year, they can move around 200%. But businesses not, are not changing by 200%. Uh, is, is Apple's business changing by 200%? No. So, but so we, you know, this is, this is unfortunately, as they say, uh, the price of entry to owning stocks and, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully we'll get through it. I mean, listen, if, if you have a selling impulse and I, and I think the ETF, the, the ETF effect is real on the upside and on the downside. I mean, when you have a lot of flows, it pushes things up and whatever's in the basket, good or bad, kind of gets some flows. Yeah. And when, when there's no buyers and just sellers and the easiest thing to do for a trader or a hedge fund, or, you know, the fast money crowd is to just short the queues or worse, you know, buy the levered versions of those things, you, you get these dislocations pretty quickly. Um, so you, do, do you guys spend much time on the macro stuff at all? Or are you guys really focused specifically on the, on the micro fundamentals of each company? I mean, obviously you kind of think, okay, we like this business. Is it right for this kind of environment? But if you, if you can kind of talk to us yeah. about the the macro and how the process to get you to the stock selection, that'd be helpful. Yeah. So obviously we, we always want to own companies that have the ability to raise prices and benefit from inflation if they can. Right. So perfect example is, is Visa, right? If it cost me 80 bucks to fill up my gas tank uh, a year ago and now it costs 120 bucks and I pay off, pay for it on my Visa card. Well, and I still fill up once a week. Guess who's going to benefit? It's Visa, right? Because they take a percentage of the 120 that I filled up versus the 80 that I filled up a year ago. That's a big win for Visa. So, and of course, I think about Visa has no inventory, same kind of thing. So those are the premier type of businesses that we want to own. The Visas or the Moody's, or those kind of businesses where there's no inventory and they get a percentage of today's dollars that people spend. Uh, the second type of businesses we like to own are the uh, companies that have really no substitutes or these luxury branded type products uh, that can pass on the uh, cost inflation uh, to the end consumer and that end consumer won't, won't bat an eye, right? So you think about Apple and its pricing power uh, by charging you for extra memory on the phone and, and cloud storage. And like my wife... Has, she takes a million pictures of the dog, of the kids, of everything. Not me, of course, Eric. But, uh, you know, and she's got to store them on the cloud. And I, I don't know how much we spend on Apple. I, I, I don't even want to look at the Visa statement anymore. But, uh, you know, if Apple raises the price of that a dollar a year, I can't cancel it. Right. So another idea, I, we talked about it on our last podcast, is Ferrari. Same type of deal. Um, you know, they sell a, a work of art. You, you can resell your Ferraris for more than what you bought them for if you keep them in great shape. So, of course, they can raise the price more than uh, the, than their cost of goods to 
I guess, to some degree. So those are the second type tier companies that we like. And then the third type tier company that we're interested in is, is like a Costco or a Domino's Pizza. Um, these are companies that will steal market share because they have such good business models, right? Whether it's the economies of scale, the buying power, the ability to uh, keep their prices low and knock out the competition, right? So if you and I go into the pizza business, we're dead if we wanna compete against Domino's Pizza uh, at the same pricing level, it's never gonna happen. Uh, or if you and I wanna compete against Costco, forget about it, right? So that's, that's the type of biz businesses we're looking for. Number one, the pricing power without any inventory. Number two, the business that has so, such a good product or service that people can't live without that they can raise prices. Or the third kind is that they will steal market share. It, they may hurt themselves in the interim, but they're, they're definitely going to win. So does that answer your question? Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. I mean, what's your, what's your view on the Fed here? I, I, I mean, I, I obviously just looking at the, let's, let's look at the TLT. All right. The, the TLT is telling you that rates have probably peaked because growth is rolling over. Totally. Right. And, and, and inflation should follow that if, if history is any guide, obviously labor inflation, sticky, um, food inflation is going to be sticky as heck, particularly maybe even get worse before it gets better with all the, you know, I, I listen to Comstock's daily uh, agriculture report. And why do you do that? I, you know, I, cause I, I want to, cause I'm, I'm looking at, you know, Domino's, I was looking yeah. at Domino's, I was looking at Chipotle again and I'm like, you know, these food companies, if, if food costs really, you know, if it's difficult to, to get wheat and, you know, all these inputs for these, for these restaurants, that's going to be that's going to be difficult for for totally companies. in the short so, term absolutely so I, I at least like to know mm -hmm. where the planting seasons are good and where they're bad and you know what what, what how that's going to as an input cost how that's mm -hmm. going to flow through into the, the consumption theme that I that I focus on so you know from your perspective what's the fed i mean do you think the fed literally, literally just sits back and and does nothing until when what, what i i keep you know, saying when is enough? I mean, we've already had like $10 trillion worth of wealth wiped down between crypto and, and stocks and maybe house prices are coming. I mean, at some point, the job is done with inflation. Yeah. At, at least they've taken the edge off of inflation. Are they really willing to drive the economy into a deep ditch, creating more layoffs and more hardship? Uh, to me, that seems counterproductive, but who knows? would love to hear your thoughts yeah it's, you can get galaxy brain thinking about all this stuff and how it all interplays with each other right and then you're starting to now think uh, uh, clearly a few weeks ago uh, up until today the market had been pricing in recession well before uh the, anybody was talking about it right and when i look at the names that are working the the grocery stores and i guess well, REITs were working up until a few weeks ago or right. Uh, utilities, right? Like, do you really want to pay more now for a utility than Apple? <laughs> it's crazy, right? Uh, but uh, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I'm not sure it adds any value to our portfolio management. Uh, you know, they say don't fight the Fed. Well, clearly, uh, you know, owning stocks this year, you're fighting the Fed and it's been a horrible losing battle. But they've communicated well, I believe, exactly what's going to happen. So 
I'm not so sure there's many more surprises left for the market to digest. Uh, in my opinion, we're already pricing in recession. In my opinion, uh, the market is pricing in uh, you know, a number of rate hikes already. In my opinion, it's consensus that stocks are going lower. In my opinion, it's consensus that inflation is probably going to peak in the next couple of months. I wouldn't be surprised to still see it high uh, it, for May. So when the June report comes out, it's still a very uh, scary number, but eventually it's going to roll over. It has to. Uh, so I don't know what it all means. I don't know what it all means for the stock market, how much lower the market can go, or if it's already priced in. I'm just going to focus on, you know, buying these businesses and, and not making trades based upon short-term issues, right? So I know Domino's is going to have trouble in the short term. I know these companies that uh, rely on input costs are, are, are going to be in trouble, but everybody knows that. So at some point, they're just too cheap to pass up. And I think the same thing's happening today that kind of happened in 2020, right? We, we fell in March and April, or I guess February, March, we fell about 25, 30%. Many stocks fell a lot. And then no one priced in the fact that, okay, well, maybe we'll have a recovery in 20, later 2020 or 2021. And so the drop in the stock prices was more, way more than the, the hurt of the fundamentals of only one year, right? So even let's say you and I start a business together. If we're making $100 of free cash flow every single year, but one year we only make $10 of free cash flow, then the next year we start to recover. Is our business worth uh, 60, 70, 80% less? Come on, no. So you know, let the market be your guide. Uh, if you think things are going to go lower, then God bless you. Those are the same people that always, that didn't want to buy stocks when they're too high. They don't want to buy them when they're too low. They never want to buy them. They have an opinion about everything. But I, I think things are relatively attractive here. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously upset in the short term. I, I don't like to see portfolios go down. Retire. I don't like to take those tough phone calls from the retirees. I don't like to say the same thing every time to clients, but that's the job of a portfolio manager, right? And so uh, I had a client the other day actually say something which was really encouraging to me. She said, you know, anybody that's upset with you guys this year, they obviously didn't uh, listen to your strategy, which you articulated many, many times, which, which we tell them, we don't sell because the market goes down. We sell either because stock has got too big in the portfolio, uh, we find a better idea, or, uh, you know, or, or, or we just feel like we've made a mistake with the business. And it's not a mistake with the business just because one year there's more inflation or there's more input costs. There's a mistake because management does something really stupid, makes a terrible acquisition or terrible capital allocation, or you found out it was selling a, a widget that no one ever wants to use again. I think people are going to be eating pizza to the end of time. So I'm pretty confident. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Although uh, it's, uh, you know, it's getting tougher on the waistline. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what the bike's for. I don't know what you guys. Uh... I got a Peloton and I've been using it a lot more often. So I'm trying to uh, wage the battle of, oh my God, what a bad day. Should I have a drink <laughs> the next morning? Well, if I do, I got to get back on the Peloton because I got to get my mental uh, health back in order. We're going to need um, to see a picture of you on the Peloton with some sweat on your forehead with a margarita or your favorite drink. Uh, yeah, not, <laughs> I, I, I tend to work out in the morning as, as uh, I, I find that's, that's better for me. Check the futures like, oh, 
let's go yeah. work out and uh <laughs> at least we'll get my mental health uh back on back on track Do you, are, are you from a COVID perspective are you guys seeing any flare-ups that would have them lock the borders again because that last time we talked i was we were contemplating going actually i think we had we had postponed our summer trip in in whistler yeah and and we want to go back to whistler and frankly i'm afraid i'm afraid one flare-up and the doors get closed again is there any what's the narrative there now um i think it's kind of like the u.s no one cares anymore okay good, good. <laughs> yeah so uh, i i think we've all moved past it and in in my office no one's wearing masks uh i still see it's always funny when i see people wearing masks outside by themselves walking the dog but you know to each their own and uh, this is a life-changing type of scare for a lot of people so i don't want to minimize uh, someone's health concerns whatsoever but definitely uh, i think most people that I talk to, maybe maybe not my parents, are over it, and uh, you know they've had it a number of times already, and uh, they're going to move on with life. And I, I hopefully that's the analogy uh, with with the markets. I mean, you're just going to get sucker punched all the time in investing, and, and if you're new to it, um, this this is how it goes. I, I've seen a you know a lot of new startups, and I feel for those guys who invested in all the high flying names, the Spotify's, the Shopify's, the Carvana's, all these unproven business models that don't make a lick of money. Um, they may turn out to be amazing businesses, right? You got to start somewhere, but you know, paying uh, a price for hot air uh, <laughs> last year, you, you you had to be nonsensical. I mean. At, we got caught up in, in it too, Eric. I mean, you have to admit, valuations last year were out of control. And obviously, we're all geniuses in hindsight, but you know, stocks got way too expensive last year. Now they're correcting. I don't, no one knows where the correct value is from here. Maybe they'll still correct more. Maybe it's already uh, the bottom was in and we just don't know it. But uh, you know, that, that it's a good lesson, of course, for portfolio managers about diversification and owning companies and different businesses. You see our 13F, but you don't see every name, of course, in our portfolio. We own a lot of Canadian names as well that don't appear on the, uh, on, on the US 13F filing. And, and just this may or may not be still part of the portfolio, but from a, from a similarities, we both own Apple, Microsoft, Google, Costco, Visa, Amazon, um, I, and I'm, uh, I own, I've just started buying a MasterCard again as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, PayPal intrigues me all the way down here. It, it feels like there's just, they've just kitchen synced it and the sentiment is so bad. They just did that $3 billion debt deal. I suspect they're getting ready to really, and I don't think this is isolated to PayPal, but I suspect you know, we're going to look back 12 months from now and see some massive buybacks from some yeah. of the companies. Yeah, we actually materially reduced our, our position in, in PayPal and uh, Facebook um, in, in this quarter. Okay. Um, just, just because we thought we had too many names and uh, wanted to really more focus on our, our better ideas. Um, I, still, I still own both names personally, and I still think, you know, long term, they're going to be okay. But you know, I think in in a in a I'll call it a bear market, or at least it is for my stocks. It might not be for everybody's stocks, but in a bear market, you you kind of gravitate to more concentration and your better ideas. And so, when something is down so much, 
you either decide, am I going to hold it? Should I just buy more of uh, something that I think is a, a better run company or do I you know, continue to double down? And so, you know, that, that's some of the decisions that we make is maybe more concentration on some of the, the better run names. Um, I think here uh, in this kind of market, you really want to move to companies that are run by managers who can take advantage of dislocations, right? So we added more to Berkshire. We bought more of Constellation software. Uh, I'm excited about owning more Brookfield Asset Management. You know, these are businesses that generate a lot of free cash flow run by market veterans who have seen the highest highs and the lowest lows and, you know, are stand willing and ready to buy uh, anything that's of quality that's been marked down a lot. So that, that's that's something that we've been thinking about and doing in, in this year. Yeah, I think mean, we talked about it before. I, you know, we own Blackstone and KKR and I, and I know that they're, you know, they're in the storm. They use, fine. They use financing as money gets mm -hmm. more expensive. But you know the massive dry powder. Like those guys are, they're so savvy. As well as the guys from from Brookfield. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting. What, what what do you make of this potential spinoff of the asset management business? Why would they do that? I don't follow that close. Sure, sure. So uh, we've owned uh, shares of Brookfield Asset Management for clients um, pretty much since two thousand and two. And uh, very happy with the company. And we also uh, clients own shares of the uh, one of their partnerships, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, which uh, owns a lot of toll roads and uh, other types of inflation protected assets, which is actually one of the only stocks today that was up on my screen, Brookfield Infrastructure. So one of the reasons why I like Brookfield Asset is unlike KKR and some of those other names, it, it's not looking for exit public exits on its investments and invest more in real estate and uh, more infrastructure type things. And it's not a seller into, right. It's not looking to buy something, take it private and then resell it again. Right. So that's what really excites us about Brookfield asset. I mean, it may do that with a few names, but most of the time it's, it's really buy and hold forever or recycle to, uh, endowments or other private equity guys or other institutions, what have you, and at uh, at higher prices. So Brookfield um, has been arguing for years that you know our stock is undervalued. Uh, a lot of people on Twitter laugh at the CEO Bruce Flad, who writes a letter and then tells you what he thinks the stock is worth. Uh, you know, many people prefer. Yeah, good for him, but a lot of people prefer. Uh, you know, the CEO is just to focus on running the business and let the stock price take care of itself, right? Um, so he's been arguing for years that, you know, you're valuing KKR and all these other Blackstone at 20 to 25 times cash flow. And on our business, we're not getting that. And here's a way for us to separate the asset management business, to spin off a portion, and to hopefully get that juicy multiple. And so their asset management business is essentially going to own stakes in a number of its partnership units that are publicly listed. They have Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. They have uh, Brookfield Renewable Partners, which is um, uh, hydro dams. Uh, they have Brookfield Business Units, which is a little bit like a private equity company. Um, they have Bro Brookfield uh, Reinsurance. They have all these different <laughs> uh, listed units. It's very confusing, but all those listed units pay a management fee 
to Brookfield Asset. So if they could spin out that portion, as well as the portion that uh, invests for other people, uh, where they get management fees as well as carried interest, which is a fancy way of saying performance fees, um, then they can get a much better multiple versus their Brookfield asset management business, which owns real estate and other heavy stuff inside Brookfield. And so this is just a way for them to try and bridge the gap between what KKR and Blackstone is trading at versus what Brookfield or what they think the value of Brookfield is today. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> if it's, uh, if we, let's just assume the next three years or five years is going to be harder to make money than the last five. That, that, I mean, let's face it, with the exception of, you know, up until. Well, hopefully not from here. Uh, now that we've had a, <laughs> a big drop. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. We've taken, we've taken a lot off the edge there, or mm -hmm. a lot off the top. But I, I, you know, always think like, if you're an allocator, whether it's a foundation or an endowment or even advisors that, mm -hmm. that, that now have access to some of these, these portfolios and alternatives, you know, there's your team, there's my team, there's a bunch of other teams all over the place. And then there's BAM and KKR and Apollo and Carlisle and Blackstone. I mean, arguably they are in the catbird seat for having the best information, the most real time information, mm -hmm. good and bad. They have tons of cash flow to put to work or, or dry powder to put to work. If it's, if it's not as easy to, to make money as it was for the next three to five years, I think those guys will just get more asset flows from, from large in institutions and people that just I think that's I don't right. know what to do. I want to turn it over to the smart guys. Yeah. So, you know, a re retiree couple may be too frightened to invest in the stock market and, and doesn't have the access to invest, but an endowment, an institution, a sovereign wealth fund, they have to invest. Right. They can't just sit in cash. So, and you know, after suffering through a bear market in 2018, a bear market in 2020, looks like another bear market in 2022. Uh, maybe the argument is enough with stocks. I can't take it anymore. Uh, let's continue to move some of our assets to things that aren't marked to market as much. Right. Uh, which is, you know, that's a whole other story that we can get into, of course. But, you know, I find it funny that people can take mark to market when it's going up but no one, no one likes it when it's going down. Right. And so right. look at me, look at me in my private equity fund. I'm making money because it's not marked to market and I'm a genius and, you know, but that's another story. But ultimately I think that's, that's the case. Uh, Brookfield. And I'm sure it's the same thing with Blackstone. These guys are also master storytellers <laughs> and they'll tell you uh, when interest rates are high. Yeah. Our business is great. When interest rates are low, oh, our business is even better. And inflation is high. So, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of truth to, to the storytelling. Uh, it, it is very clear from my work that I've done in the non-for-profit sector, as well as my partner, David Baskin, uh, just seeing how more allocators continue to recommend uh, non-mark-to-market assets in, in portfolios of large institutions. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does seem that we've kind of, more, we're moving to this, you know, this cheap beta on one side with uh, more expensive alternatives on the other side, you know, and, yeah. and that's a, an interesting barbell rather than the traditional 60-40. Although, like I said, at, you know, after this interest rate move, 
bonds, I'm not a bond guy, but I think some duration in bonds. I do agree with David Rosenberg, which is a rare, <laughs> I think the guy's unbelievably smart, but he's just, he tends to be bearish 80% of the time. But I, I just listened to his real vision the other last night. And, and I found myself shaking my head going, I don't even know what that means when I'm, when I'm agreeing with Dave on, on all this stuff, but never listen uh, to him before you go to bed. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, well, here, here's it. We're, we're, uh, we're almost out of time. I just had my analyst send me the, the, um, the breath numbers. Looks like we had a 98.4% down day on the S&P. And ironically, an 84% down day for the NASDAQ. Huh. I'm, I'm actually surprised at that. So <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. I, I do think, though, that you know, if you look at every real bottom the best companies tend to bottom first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even in, even in 08, I mean, you, the, the breath washout was in November of 08. Then we had some rally and then we did the final plunge in 09. But if you looked at prices, there were a lot of names that were well higher than, than uh, where the indexes were in 09 already. They had, they had already bottomed. So, you know, during these periods, you have to look at your companies to see, gosh, you know, are there any really good companies that don't seem to be able to go down much anymore? You know, the sellers clearly have been exhausting themselves. Even if at the index level, it looks dreadful, there's usually some indications that the, the worst is behind us. So that's yeah. what I'm kind of looking at. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, my, my, my approach is just to continue nibbling at uh, these prices. Uh, you know, obviously there's a temptation to go all in. <laughs> When you see uh, the markets like this, but probably the more cautious approach is to to nibble and and you know I've lived through 2000 2008. We talked about I don't remember what I paid for some of the stocks in those days. Right. I, you know, I, all I remember is the feeling was much the same. It's it's always painful. It always hurts. You always feel like a sack of you know what, uh, and you feel bad for your clients, and you feel like it's the end of the world, but seldom does the worst case happen and ultimately we'll be fine and there's in the meantime there's some really interesting bargains where stocks have been sold with really no valuation discovery as we said with the etfs so that's the approach we're taking and you know I, we'll, hopefully we'll talk again in a year and, and and say i can't believe i was able to buy, I don't know, look at Lululemon today, for example. Wasn't that 400 bucks a week ago? Man, 272 today. I, have, uh, I No, I have so many alerts set from stock charts. Just, you know, you get busy in a day and now I get texts with things that hit my alerts and then I can decide to do some work. Lulu around 250, I think is where I said it. And I'm like, holy crap, today we're, we're not that far away. There's some interesting businesses, whether it's a Lulu or an Estee Lauder. I just some names that I don't own in my portfolio that are getting to be it's too good to be true prices. Um, I don't like. I'm not going to wait till things are trading at ten times earnings. God forbid that happens. You know, you just got to make the assessment that if you can buy Lululemon or Estee Lauder or whatever today, and you think you can get a ten to twelve percent IRR on those stocks, it's got to be better than sitting in cash where I know I'm going to get zero. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Barry, it was always good to talk to you. For people that want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Barry Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-B-W for Baskin Wealth. Correct. Well, um, I, I'm certainly, you, you're on my notifications. I only get, I only have like six or seven people that I actually get 
you know, on, on my notifications for twi for Twitter. And I definitely like hearing what you have to say. So I thank I you very much. Appreciate having a conversation. And uh, let's I'm, I'm down to like nubs at this point from catching falling knives, but <laughs> my fingers are going to re regenerate. And I'm going to be able to buy some more good stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, I hope you will pay higher prices going forward. But, you know, just just stick to your process. That's all we can do as long term investors right and uh i appreciate the the chance to come on today and also check out our website baskinwealth.com lots of videos lots of great blogs especially by my colleague and head of research ernest wong he writes some really some insightful stuff about our style and our strategy and so you can learn more about us from there awesome barry good to talk to you take All care the best. thank Bye -bye. you Thanks for listening to Mega Brands, everybody. I'm your host, Eric Clark. For more information on this podcast and to learn more about the brand relevancy scoring system we use, be sure to check out the website at globalbrandsmatter.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the market newsletter and check out my latest thoughts on our favorite portfolio brands in the dynamic Brands section. If you have any questions or want to learn more about the dynamic brands approach, send me a message on the contact tab. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great day.